from Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Matt West and this is the podcast where I talk about all sorts of fascinating things, automotive in nature. I mean, look, I get it. Everyone's got a podcast. Your grandma's got one. Your mom's got one. Your cat's probably got one too. But the thing that they don't have is cars. Yeah, I love cars. That is that is what I talk about. And today we're going to be talking about how somebody built the closest thing, I would say, to a six-cylinder K-Series engine. That's pretty cool. Also, Subaru has that new WRX. Uh, everyone seems to hate it. I've got some things that I think are good about it. Also, of course, the chip shortage, the automotive chip shortage for manufacturers, not just affecting cars, but in this case, that's what we're going to talk about. How is it happening? What's the status of it? How long is it going to keep going on? And then I'm going to give you my thoughts about Stroker motors. We've got a lot to get to. This is a lot of stuff. I recently finished a stroker engine uh, build myself. Got some thoughts of, um, was it worth it? Was it not worth it? What were some of the gains I got? All of this and more, of course, is going to happen during the show today. And just before we get into that, I kind of want to introduce who I am. This is the first episode of the podcast. You need to know who this guy is. And uh, and I'm a guy who loves cars. My name's Matt West. Did I tell you that? I'm pretty sure I did. But uh, I love cars. I've always loved them. Uh, I've been a big fan lately now of getting into uh, road course racing, autocross, stuff like that. I've been doing a lot of track days. Uh, I have a fair number of degenerate project cars. I own five cars and a disappointing number of them run. But hey, what what can you do? Such is the life. Now, I make no claims, of course, of being an actual mechanic, though I am a well, well-researched person who does all of their own work on their cars, from building engines to doing transmissions to just doing dumb stuff. Uh, however big, however small, I do the work myself. Uh, now, that said, I am, when the time you know, when it necessitates it, I am going to have my good friend, OBD1 Kenobi. His real name's Brian, but he is an actual mechanic certified, uh, works for a very large dealership doing some really cool stuff and runs his own business. So he's going to join the show at some later points uh, to talk about tuning, talk about engine management, a lot of that stuff. But that is me. Not cool enough to be a mechanic, but I do like to talk about cars. So there you go. Now, ladies, gentlemen, the often forgotten, but not by me, AMC Ramblers. Let's talk about the first thing today, which is the six-cylinder K-Series, which is kind of what I'm calling it. It's it's not quite that. Now, what it is, there's a company out of Florida. Uh, they're called Datsun Works, and a guy named Derek Minetti runs it, and he decided he wanted to take a Datsun L28 engine, a straight six, single overhead cam out of a um, 280Z, and he wanted to make it dual overhead cam. And there's a number of reasons why you would want to do this, and na- namely being power, airflow, RPMs. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the ways we make power with engines involves mostly air, because what are you doing when you turbocharge an engine? You're stuffing more air into it. Um, and now when you're supercharging an engine, same idea. You're increasing the displacement. My stroker build I talked about, again, you're flowing more air. And what this guy did to flow more air is build a dual overhead cam head, custom build it, design everything from the ground up, mostly. Because what he did is he designed it off of the K20 head, the Honda K-Series engine. Wildly popular, wildly cheap, 
make great power, makes good noises. We all know the K-Series. And uh, what he did is he took that design and basically lengthened it by two cylinders. And, you know, then, you know, custom machined his own head out of aluminum and everything. But at the kind of the base of it, it is sort of a K-Series head. He used the K-Series um, valve train design. He's using a lot of Honda valves, valve guides, seals. And, of course, uh, if you've ever seen a K-Series the way the um, the camshaft, rather, I should say, sits on the head. It sits in the cam towers, which are completely removable. Um, I've rebuilt a couple of Honda F20 engines out of an S2000 because um, I have a tendency of breaking those. But <laughs> that's that's a different story for now. The, it basically is the same, same design as the K-Series. So he did all of this, took the design, built it from the ground up with some really incredible engineering and know-how and a lot of trial and error for getting flow right, and essentially came up with a K-Series with two extra cylinders. That's that's what this boils down to, but I, I don't want to just call it a K-Series with two extra cylinders because, I mean, the guy put some incredible, incredible work into designing this himself and um and of course he said by using uh Minetti said by using off-the-shelf honda parts for valves rockers and other things like that he's able to kind of cut down the amount of work it takes to build this head because he said he was saying that you know i was uh in an interview he was saying that it's no good if he's waiting on other custom parts manufacturers and machine shops to design this and do that, and then he just loses steam on the project, that's no fun. Just want to use something out of the box, which is Honda parts. And they're reliable, they're durable, um, they're cheap. I mean, it's it's everything you could want there. Now, now before we get too, fur, too much further into this engine, um, I want you to hear what this sounds like, okay? So it's a... It's a straight six in a 280Z with this head revving to 8,500 RPM. Oh, my God. I am a I am a sucker for car noise. To me, the noise of a car, the engine of the car, makes that car. And give this a listen. I mean, that is fantastic. Now, that Nissan is making uh, Datsun Nissan. Yeah, <laughs> Going to nickel and dime me on that. But what, what that's making is over 350 horsepower to the wheel, naturally aspirated through straight six, which is honestly insane. Now, it's also got individual throttle bodies from Genve. Uh, I'm a sucker for ITBs as well. They sound so good. Uh, so six individual throttle bodies with fuel injection, and that's how you get that kind of car. Now, obviously, the internals of the engine, not stock, forged internals. It's also uh, bored out quite a bit as well. So not really an L28 anymore, more like a um, L32, 3.2 liters. But uh, that said, I mean, the head is really what makes that. I mean, you you have all sorts of engines and that head flowing that much air, allowing you to run that much RPM with the ITBs. I mean, this is incredible work. Now, What's, again, more incredible is how Minetti designed this from the head, you know, using the K-Series as inspiration, more or less. But he did that um, and then machined this and, and developed this whole head, essentially, by himself. Uh, so from an engineering standpoint, that's really cool. Uh, now, what what does this teach us about engines and cars? Uh, that's more valves equals more good, means more sound, means more better. 
Also, ITBs are cool. I mean, you know. I'm a sucker for that. What can you do? So there you go. That is essentially the idea of a six-cylinder K-series. What I want to see now is somebody build a true K-series, the platform from the ground up, uh, but with just two extra cylinders. I mean, that would be insane. A Honda engine, top and bottom, uh, with two extra cylinders screaming up to God knows what. You know, 9,000 RPM. I mean, that's a bit much to ask, but I mean, come on, come on. I can, I could dream here, right? I could dream. So there you go. That is one of the coolest things I've seen recently. Let's just, let's just hear that noise one more time. Oh, oh my God. So good. So good. So that's good. Now, something I want to talk about next that is, um, Maybe not as good, but it's okay. The new Subaru WRX. I'm sure you've seen this. This has exploded all over automotive social media this entire past month. Um, and they've, uh, you know, it's a completely new from the ground up WRX. And people are really on the fence about it. Uh, namely because of the looks. Uh, I've heard people describe it as a fat Subaru Crosstrek, which is pretty accurate. It looks a hell of a lot like a Crosstrek. Um, it looks kind of bloaty and big but what everyone's griping about the style they say it is a complete flop you know what was subaru thinking well what they were thinking is some cool engineering that happened well the the looks are hit or miss uh for me they're a miss i don't actually like the looks that much but i didn't really like the looks of the outgoing model either uh i'm not i don't fancy myself to be that much of a subaru guy i mean not it's not been a big big part of my life at least i know a lot of people uh, are diehard subaru fans they will go out in a cloud of vape juice and and uh and smoke but uh that's that's how it is now what i think is cool about the subaru though is some of the technology that they put into the suspension they increase the suspension travel making it more of a rally car i think we we get sometimes departed from the fact that the WRX at its core is really meant to be a rally car. You know, I mean, you get a lot of guys, you know, lowering these cars, stancing them out, putting 20 inch wheels or whatever on them. Uh, and while that is cool, and while airbag and air ride suspension is cool, doesn't do you much good for bombing dirt roads at 90 miles an hour and jumping the car, which is kind of what the, it's meant for. I mean, WRX, World Rally Cross, it is in the name of the car. Um, so they've got more suspension travel. They've increased the size of the wheel arches, which kind of lends to that weird look it has. And also the the wheel arches, I don't know if you've seen it, they have like this plastic um, fairing kind of around the wheel arches. I, I wouldn't say maybe fairing's not the right word, but this plastic bezel. And, you know, it's several inches thick around the front and rear wheel arches. I wonder, for one, that looks weird. It doesn't complement any other part of the car's styling. For two... Um, when you do get the guys who are going to be buying these cars and they're going to be lowering them anyway because they don't care that it's a rally car, they want a stanced out Subaru, how are they going to roll those fenders if the outer lips of those are plastic? And I mean, hard plastic. I'm, I'm not sure. Someone's going to figure it out. Anyway, logistical little thing there. Um, so you've got more suspension travel for, you know, going off-road and going fast off-road. That's cool. Um, They've improved the steering of the car as well. It's going to have, I guess, a quicker ratio steering. They call it dual pinion system of whatever that means. I guess it has two pinions. Um, 
that is supposed to be good, make the car feel a little less boaty, a little less like a big sedan, which is what it is. Um, so that's cool. I, I like that. Uh, the wider body, obviously, it's got a wider body. It gives it a little bit more track width as well, a little more stability. Um, some of the things that are kind of an upgrade, but I don't necessarily agree with them, they have improved the CVT model. Not that anyone was asking for that. They said 50, 30 to 50% quicker shifts in the CVT. So it's 30% quicker upshifts, 50% quicker downshifts. Doesn't a CVT, I, I find the issue with that is a CVT isn't the whole point that it doesn't shift. It's continuously variable. I guess it's the fake shifts. I don't know. I can't get behind that. Also, one of the upper trim models of the WRX, the GT trim package, does not come with a manual. So sad. So sad. Only the CVT. But it's a CVT. It's faster. It'll break, as CVTs do. That said, you can still get the car in lower trims with the manual. So... That is good, I guess. What I like about this car, what I was getting to the bits I actually like, is the fact that it is actually a little taller, has more wheel arch clearance and more suspension travel, because at the end of the day, if I want a sports car, I'm going to go out and buy a sports car. I don't expect the WRX to behave like a sports car, because it's, it's not. It's a sporty sedan with its roots in rally, and... If I wanted to get a car to go bomb some dirt roads, some country roads, I would get a WRX because that's what it's for. Put some knobby, aggressive tires on it. Go have fun. Go rallying because, look, you, you go get like a Miata if you want to go do autocross, okay? You get a, a Mustang or a Challenger if you want to go drag racing. What do you get when you want to go rallying? The only thing I see is the WRX, and I think that's the vision of that car, the core of that car is something that's kind of been lost over the years, and I feel like they're bringing that back with this new model, even if it looks like a glorified Crosstrek, which it does. So, there you go. That's what I think about the new WRX. Is it cool? Is it not? We'll have to actually wait and get some in person. I want to go flog one around some uh, some backcountry roads in the dirt. I think that would be excellent. So, that is that. Now, what next thing I want to get to is going to be really cool. We're going to be talking about some of the effects of the chip shortage, but also when the end might be in sight. We're going to talk about that after the break. I know it's a break. It's going to be short, though. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car's suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash ThrottleWarrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. And we're back for the second segment of the show. Of course, I am Matt West. I'm here to talk to you today about cars. That is what this show is about. You know, I figured I might as well make a podcast talking about cars uh, because I talk about them all the time anyway, and honestly, my friends are getting pretty tired of it. So I figured I'd talk to you about cars. So, And hopefully you want to hear about cars. That's that's how this whole thing works. Also, by the way, do you hear those cool car sounds in the uh, intro music coming back from the break? Those could be your 
car sounds. This is cool because I, I want to involve you in the show a little bit more than perhaps some other shows do. And by doing that, I want you to, if you if you would like to, I'm sure you would, um, record your car, doing a rev, maybe a pull, a burnout, some donuts, whatever you want to do. Just don't get arrested doing it. Record your car doing that. Say, hey, my name's so-and-so, and I'm from so-and-so, and this is my XYZ car. Record that rev. Boom. And um, and then send that into the show. And you can send that in at matt at throttlewarrior.com. That is an email address. I know. We are uh, we're 21st century. We use email, of course. Um, send that car sound in. Your car could make it into the show. Would be pretty cool. Just saying. Now, what I want to talk about next is the chip shortage. You have undoubtedly been hearing about this. This especially um, is relevant if you're trying to buy a new car. And um, and this is partially what has been causing car costs to inflate massively. This is what's causing dealerships to ask over MSRP on otherwise like regular cars. Um, and uh, by extension, this is, of course, causing the used market to inflate as well because people are saying, well, crap, I can't get a new car. I guess I'm going to go get a used car. And then everyone is asking $10,000 for their 2003 you know, Camrys with 200,000 miles, you know, no low ballers, know what I have. That said, um, what is going on with manufacturers? Because they are having to deal with a lot of stuff, specifically these chips, because they got to keep production moving, even if they don't have parts. And this is why we've seen manufacturers storing incomplete cars in massive lots. I mean, GM recently uh, said they have over 30,000 trucks in storage at one of their plants just waiting for chips and by chips i mean we're talking you know powertrain control modules and seat modules and all these little things that have individual semiconductors um inside them and those are the chips that you know people are having a hard time coming across um and by the way that strategy where manufacturers build stuff and then store the vehicles afterwards incomplete waiting to finish them they're doing that so they can keep the production line moving so they don't have to idle those production lines that's called the build shy strategy and um and it it does work to an extent it has kept things moving it's kept people employed because well when you stop building cars when you idle a production line well you're not really paying those workers so you're keeping those people in business you're keeping them paid but you're not selling those cars which is how you're making money if you're an auto manufacturer obviously so what they're doing to try to avoid um building stockpiles of incomplete cars or entirely stopping production lines as manufacturers are now starting to change how they build the cars and we're seeing this with manufacturers offering less features that require those things like tesla said they are going to be dropping the adjustable lumbar support in their models and uh, because that requires a part that has chips in it and they can't get those chips but instead of not delivering the cars they're just not going to offer that as an option anymore um gm is doing this ford is doing this um stellantis i mean i still want to call them fca but they're not uh but they are uh for instance offering less vehicles with blind spot monitoring and then also what these manufacturers are doing is instead of entirely eliminating features, some of them are diverting those features to their higher trim models of better selling cars. You know, they're going to be putting those in whatever model car they have that they know sells a ton and diverting those chips and resources away from their models that aren't selling as well, which 
Taking features away from a car that's not selling as well is probably not going to make it sell any better. So I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of cars um, or a lot of uh, models just getting entirely dropped off out of out of lineups. I mean, look at Ford already. Even before the pandemic nonsense, they were cutting to a model where they only sold the only car they effectively sold was the Mustang. Everything else was either a uh, crossover or a pickup truck. So you're probably going to see a lot more of that going on, not just at Ford, but Dodge, Chrysler, um, Chevy, things like that. So where this leaves manufacturers as well is um, changing how they manufacture the cars themselves, the order in which they do it. Because a lot of times, uh, and I believe is it uh, Volkswagen is very famous for making cars as parts come in. They have fine-tuned the delivery of parts from their different suppliers, the different OEMs that actually bring, you know, Volkswagen, BMW, whoever, the chips, the parts, the panels, stuff like that. You know, they have fine-tuned assembling the cars right as those parts come in. I mean, it's clockwork. So if you end up skipping any part of that process, you entirely screw up the whole process of having, you know, a window switch gets assembled into the door like within minutes of it arriving in the factory and been than being delivered with robots across the factory floor. You change that because you don't have the parts available. And so this is causing manufacturers, instead of to build stuff that way, they've been doing it that way for a while because it's efficient. Uh, it's the best use of time. They can make more vehicles faster and effectively cheaper, waste less time. And if by, by doing that, you ultimately sell more cars and you make more money. It's profitable. Well, they're not doing that anymore. A lot of them have had to shy away from that and instead build stuff in bulk and stockpile batches and, and, and tons of parts. And what does that mean? I mean, at the end of the day, it means, A, manufacturers are slowing down their production method. It also means they're having to increase their warehouse space, uh, their factory floor space to accommodate all these extra parts because they're stockpiling piling them. They're saying, well, we don't know when we're going to get more of this component. So we're just going to keep building them and tucking them away for a rainy day. Uh, you know, the way car manufacturers have been building things has, uh, you could say, not really been in the best interest of, you know, a global uh, crisis. Um, you know, the way it's worked has worked well as long as uh, supply chains, delivery, everything works. The whole process works. But if one of those things goes out, then the whole thing falls apart. So this is what's causing manufacturers to, you know, have to rethink how they do things. Now, the question then becomes, how long are we going to have to put up with this? Because if manufacturers aren't building as many cars, then they're not selling as many cars. And that means you can't just walk into a dealership and say, I want one of these. No, they're going to say, well, this is the, the show model. We only have one of these. You can test drive it, but you're going to have to put an order in for one. And at least with Americans, that's not how we like to buy cars. I mean, some people really enjoy custom specking out a car from the dealer, right? But for the most part, you get most folks, they say, I've decided I want to buy a car. I'm going to walk into the dealership and I am going to drive out in my nice new car today. I mean, look, we're Americans. We tend to be kind of, uh, have a, we tend to have a sense of instant gratification. There's no denying that. And this is going to change how we buy cars. Now, because people might have to wait for cars, well, I don't want to go to the dealer and place an order and, you know, and then wait three months for my car. 
They're going to say, well, I'm going to go on, you know, uh, Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and find a used version of that car I was going to buy because guess what? I could buy it today. And then that's going to cause, again, back around to used cars. That loops all the way around to used cars um, being more expensive, which if you're selling a used car, now's a great time to do it. If you're trying to buy a used car, not so much. Now, the unfortunate thing about all of this is there's not really any end in sight. Um, you know, uh, C, uh, CNBC reported recently uh, that the Volkswagen CEO doesn't think, uh, his name is Hubert Dice, he doesn't think that the chip shortage is going to ease up anytime soon. Uh, he doesn't think that there's going to be a foreseeable future immediately where things are going to go back to how they were for auto manufacturers. And that boils down to these mic these semiconductors and these microchips for cars, you know, are being produced by, you know, different manufacturers. It's not like, you know, Ford is making all of its chips in-house. That is one solution they are going to propose and try to get underway. Um, but they're ordering them from other companies. And these other companies who make these chips are selling them to you know, places, uh, you know, for computers. I mean, that's one reason we've had the microchip shortage is not because of labor and COVID. We've had it because of COVID requiring more people to buy more connected internet devices, laptops, phones, tablets, cameras. Those all take microchips and those kind of pull the supply chain away from the auto industry. So are we going to see it resolve anytime soon? I mean, eventually. Yeah, and especially as manufacturers get their chip manufacturing done in-house instead of relying on different OEMs to supply those. That's not going to change right away. So, moral of the story, if you've been sitting on that crusty Camry waiting to sell it, yeah, now's, uh, now's your time to shine. Go, go sell that car, make some good money on it, and, um, and then you won't be able to buy another car. But, hey, <laughs> such is life. All right, we're going to come back for the third segment of the show got some great stuff to talk about we're going to talk about f1 lewis hamilton he was saved by the controversial halo also i'm going to give you my thoughts on stroker builds that's next and now for how things work with an engineer engines spin and that was how things work with an engineer for more of how things work go to patreon.com slash throttle warrior and there's Max Verstappen right behind Hamilton into the first chicane once again it's wheel to wheel Hamilton and Verstappen oh. and this time Verstappen and Hamilton have crashed out and they are both out that little uh, scuffle between cars happened at the Italian Grand Prix earlier this month and though it was kind of slow uh you could say uh, Lewis Hamilton could have lost his life there. It was uh, pretty tricky because Max Verstappen's car uh, had gone over the top of Hamilton's car. There's a photo uh, circula circulating around the internet of that car just balanced right above Hamilton's head on the halo, the controversial halo on the F1 cars, if you are uh, unfamiliar with it, it is this big hoop that goes over the driver's head. It looks uh, impossibly ugly. It's <laughs> it's an ugly device. That said, it arguably saved Hamilton's life. And he even credited, uh, credited the halo uh, for protecting his head as the other car literally landed on it. So this is one of those things that that halo has been 
very controversial um, ever since it was even being tested. The Halos go back as early as um, 2016, and, uh, and they were tested in 2016, 2017, and then the FIA mandated them controversially in 2018. Again, F1 fans hated the thing. You know, I don't even consider myself to be that diehard of an F1 guy, and um, even then, <laughs> even then I looked at that and I'm like, ugh. That's that doesn't look very good. That said, it has in countless races now proven to save drivers noggins, save that uh, that head of theirs uh, several times. And then uh, this is arguably one of the higher profile times that it has done that. Now, of course, um, Verstappen and Hamilton were pretty much out of the race at that point, but they both walked away. Minor injuries. I mean, minor stuff could have ended really badly. You don't even want to think of what would happen, you know, with your head poking out of that little car and then another car scoots right over the top of you. Um, By the way, I mean, sure, F1 cars don't weigh a whole lot. I mean, about 1,600 pounds, uh, what is that, 750-ish kilos for our European friends. Uh, Now, that said, those halos are allegedly capable of holding over 26,000 pounds that is like several buses on top of that without caving. So that is cool. That is a cool feat of engineering. Uh, 26,000 pounds. What is that? Uh, 12,000 12, 12, kilos. There you go. Uh, that said, does this mean Formula One is getting too boring and too safe? That is the the argument, the question that arises here because everyone says, ah, Formula One's too politically correct now. Ah, it's too safe. It's too boring. I agree that it, it has gotten boring in, in some cases to the chagrin of uh, a lot of F1 fans. We might hate to hear other people say that. But, uh, I mean, it's not the 70s, you know, craziness of, you know, uh, all sorts of car designs and nutty engineering going way too fast for the type of tire technology they have. It's, it's not that anymore. And you do, in my opinion, lose a little bit of charm by not having that that romance, if you will, the romantic feel of F1 from the 60s and 70s. That said, do we want F1 drivers dying? Absolutely not. That is, (laughs) the idea is to keep the drivers from dying. It is arguably a very dangerous sport. You're going incredibly fast. Um, And uh, yeah, as an F1 driver, you don't want to die. Uh, You know, people are like, well, he died doing what he loves. I don't know if anyone actually died happily doing what they love. They might have been doing, they might have loved it up until that point. But that said, does this ruin F1? No. I mean, the Halos have clearly saved Lewis Hamilton. He walked away from what could have been a a really morbid accident. Um, Does it make F1 too safe and boring? I mean, it was already too safe and boring. I just, honestly, I just want V12s back. That's I'm going to say that. I think everyone can agree. You know what? Let's take the modern safety technology that we have in F1 and then just apply that to V12 cars. Like, I think any complaints about F1 being too boring and too politically correct. Oh, they got V6s now. Oh, they went to V10s and V8s and V6s. And and what are they going to do next? You know, turbo fours? I don't know. There's maybe talk of that. Um, uh, All electric Formula E? Even I don't know, man. I think Formula E is cool from a technology perspective, but losing the big scream of those engines, ah, just give me the V12s. At the end of the day, all the modern safety stuff, I could care less. All the politics of F1, I could care less. I just want 
V12 noises. I, You know what? There we go. Said my piece on that one. Speaking of interesting engines, by the way, I want to I transition this topic here into um, stroker motors. This has nothing to do with F1, um, but stroker engines are one of those things that everyone's like, yeah, why don't you build a stroker? 383 stroker, this and that. Um, and does anyone, I think, I mean, if you know engines and you've built engines, um, you, you do know how that works, but for the layman or for the guy just getting into cars, who's like, well, why are people telling me to do a stroker build? Is it even worth it? Why, why don't I just boost it? I mean, I'll tell you upfront. I just finished a stroker build. Uh, I have a 92 Jeep Wrangler, one of my five cars that this one does run now. It does run now. Um, and uh, it's it originally had the four liter straight six from AMC in it. Um, even though it's a Jeep product, uh, Chrysler had bought Jeep at that time. Still an AMC engine. And the idea was if you take the earlier 4.2 AMC straight six, uh, you take the crank and the rods from that and you put that in the later model 4.0, which is the same platform. The block is virtually the same. The head is virtually the same. Most of it's the same. The crank just fits. It does. The rods, they just fit. But what... AMC had done when they made the 4.0 is they increased the bore. Think the size of the pistons, how big those are. That's your bore. And increasing the stroke increases how far those pistons move up and down in the cylinders. And you can change how far they move up and down by changing the uh, stroke of the crank, how far it's pulling the connecting rod, uh, and also how far the, or how far that connecting rod travels by how long it is. And, you know, it all sounds complicated, but at the end of the day, this breaks down to physics because think of a connecting rod as a big lever, like a teeter-totter. Say you got a teeter-totter, right? Well, you can apply more torque to one end. If you put a weight on one end versus the other, you apply more torque to that other end by extending the length of that. It's a lever, right? You increase the length of the lever. You therefore increase the amount of torque output on the other end. It, it really is simple. And, you know, engines sound complicated, but that's what you're doing when you're doing a stroker build is increasing the torque. Do you get any more horsepower out of a stroker build? I mean, as a result, yes, for the most part, but no one's really building a stroker for peak horsepower. In fact, like top end high horsepower with zero regard for torque is arguably better done with a shorter stroke and like a bigger bore. But you do a stroker build because you want torque. And that's what I wanted out of this Jeep engine. I wanted to increase the low-end torque because it's a Jeep. It does rock crawling. It does off-roading. I'm not revving it out to five, six, seven thousand 7,000 RPM. That would be really cool to see a Jeep do that. But uh, I'm not doing that. I'm mostly idling around on the trails for low and running it at like a 1,000 RPM. And that was my goal was to make more torque. And I did that with the stroker. And I, like I said, I took that 4.2 crank, 4.2 rods, put that with the 4.0 pistons uh, because my engine had a many, many, many hundreds of thousands of miles, uh, not nice miles. Uh, I had to um, bore the cylinder walls out uh, 40 thousandths over. But moral of the story, I took a 4.0 and basically made it a 4.6 liter and I've exponentially increased the torque at 1,000 RPM. Also did that with... Um, uh, pretty decent cam. It's got a uh, comp cams 252 in it. Uh, but aside, uh, nitty gritty details aside, um, I did what I set out to do. But is the stroker build the best way to do it? Because I had to take apart the whole engine. I had to take, you know, this is an engine out thing. Take it apart, put it on the stand, rebuild the whole freaking engine. 
And, you know, while I was in there, I, I did all the other rebuild stuff. New gaskets, seals, new main bearings, new rod bearings, uh, obviously new pistons, home the cylinder walls, new rings, all of the above, all of the above. Um, you know, obviously you could just put a bigger crank in an existing engine if it's in good shape and call it a day, but that's still an engine out type of job. And if you just want to increase that low end torque, there's an easier way to do it. There is an easier way. And it's called boost. Yes, boost is good. Turbocharger, supercharger, whatever your favorite flavor of boost is. That is arguably easier. Now, people are like, well, you got to do engine management. You got to do ECU tuning. Yeah, you do. But but that's wiring and that's plugging in a new computer and that's driving it down, trailering it down to um, to your local tuner and saying, you know, here, make make it run. Um, and, you know, that that's bolting a turbo on an intercooler. Um, you know, it's all stuff you can do while the engine is in the car for the most part. Uh, it's all stuff that can be done by the average dude in his garage. Um, you can rebuild an engine in your garage, obviously. I did in my single car, horrible little garage I have. Um, well, I had at the time. I eh, got a bigger garage now, made some upgrades. But um, yeah, you could build an engine anywhere, sure. But the ease of just bolting a turbo on it, putting some throw, throw some uh, fuel injectors at it, um, do a pl uh, plug and play ECU, so much easier than stroking the engine. Now, obviously, you know the saying, well, there's no replacement for a displacement. Well, Boost is a pretty effective replacement, honestly. I mean, it effectively adds displacement to the engine with how much airflow is happening. You know, earlier in the show when I talked about that Datsun engine with the K20-inspired uh, head, they were making more power by increasing airflow. That's how that works. Um, now, you do that with a stroker motor, or you could do that with boost. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. Now, I won't get into the argument, no replacement for a displacement, big V8 versus turbo four, whatever. I will say at the end of the day, um, if you have to, you know, rebuild your engine, if you've blown it up, it's got a lot of miles on it. It's due for a rebuild and there is an easily accessible stroker kit available on the aftermarket or in the case of my Jeep where I could take a junkyard 4.2 crank and rods, stick it into the 4.0 and basically end up with a 4.6. That's even better. That's a poor man's stroker. Um, yeah, if you got to rebuild your engine, you might as well do it. You know, it's, it's a while you're in there type thing. But if your engine's in good shape and, you know, someone's trying to talk you into doing a stroker build, I don't know, man. I don't think you should do it. Just slap a turbo on that thing. If it's already got a turbo, I don't know. Put a bigger turbo on it. More boost, more better. Um, just try not to blow your stuff up. But that said, um, was it worth it for me? Oh, hell yeah, it was. I mean, at the end of the day, my, my stroker build, because I had to rebuild the engine anyway. It was already grenaded. It cost me like 1500 bucks. Uh, not a bad deal. Um, now, that said, that said, you can make all things better, even strokers, with boost. If you take a stroker motor and then you boost it, I mean, you're just winning at life. Um, and I hope to do that on my Jeep because uh, who the hell has a stroker turbo Jeep? And screw it. While we're at it, we'll even put ethanol on it. <laughs> I don't know. The uh, the sky's the limit there. Um, I'm, I don't know if I want to drive a Jeep that's fast. That might be kind of scary. Um, I don't I don't trust the Jeep's brakes. I'll tell you that much. So there you go. Is the stroker build worth it? Should you stroke? I mean, I do every night, but, um, you know, that's that's something else. That's up to you. So that is the show for today. Of course, if you want to follow along with the show, uh, you know, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Also, email the show with your car sounds. I want to hear those car sounds. I want to put them in the show. Again, just short video. Record yourself. Hey, I'm so-and-so from wherever. This is my car. And then give it a rev. Um, do that. 
and uh, send it to Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. That is the website, by the way. Uh, check out all sorts of cool stuff. Again, ThrottleWarrior.com. I'll see you next week when I team up with the talking car to fight crime. <laughs>